You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Do you want to see an ice climber weep with joy instead of agony for a change? Then do the ultimate gift-giving kung fu this holiday and get them a pair of new ice tools from Black Diamond. The new reactor is the state-of-the-art in steeped mix climbing. The Viper is a vicious all-around mountain tool. And if you want a heart attack on your hands, big spender, wrap up a pair of carbon fiber Cobras and watch your thick-headed sweetheart dry tool the chimney with ease. Ice tools from Black Diamond really would be the ultimate climber gift, bringing pain and elation in equal measure, not unlike the holidays themselves. Check them all out, plus hundreds of other mind-blowing gifts at blackdiamondequipment.com or your favorite BDSM dungeon, I mean climbing shop. Black Diamond is a proud... Although sometimes slightly embarrassed, sponsor of the EnormaCast. To quote old headless Ned Stark, winter is coming, and you know what that means. Yes, it's time to unblock the number of that buddy who was still calling you to climb ice in June last summer and give in to your desire to scream and barf at the same time. Yes, ice climbing season is upon us, and though your fingers are destined to be both frozen and burning at the same time, your feet don't have to suffer so. Sportiva has a full line of big mountain boots, technical ice climbing boots, and boots that do nearly everything you'd want in the cold, cold mountains, short of apologizing for carrying you up there in the first place. So, if you must bash your feet against ice and snow, then check out Sportiva.com or your nearest high-end outdoor retailer for ridiculously well-made mountain boots. And remember, when you support Sportiva, you support the Enormacast. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing it at? You, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's, out. That's a big nice. place. You sold oh, it that out. Oh, we really out. should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. <laughs> You're very good. I have really enjoyed climbing with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Good weather. Bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment. With support from Maxim Ropes. And the fine folks at La Sportiva. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Glues. It is about 11.30 a.m. on December 13th, 2018. And this is episode 165 of the Enormacast, a conversation with up-and-coming young climber, Adam Andra. Have you heard of this guy, Adam Andra? Yeah, he's on the Enormacast today. And of course, that is special for all sorts of reasons. But really, the trick with somebody like Adam is getting him in front of me, which maybe some of you don't know is a rule on the Enormacast. These are all done face-to-face. And I always thought that I was being some sort of interview ninja by doing that, but the truth is, based on my experiences over at the Runout podcast, the new podcast, is that interviewing people over the phone or over Skype is way more difficult, actually. Logistically, the face-to-face is probably the trickiest part of doing the EnormaCast. Interview-wise, it's a hell of a lot easier to uh, look at somebody and 
do a, a decent interview that way. So hats off to the Skype phone interviewers. Good for you. I'm going to stick with it over here at the Normalcast face-to-face. But when somebody lives in the Czech Republic and does not come over to the States that much, and when he does, he comes over with a specific mission, it can be tricky. So what I end up doing is stalking these people, quite literally. I'm watching their Facebook, Instagrams, and when I see that they're here, that they're coming here, I try to like put out my feelers, find someone who knows somebody who knows somebody that can get in touch with them. And it certainly helped that two of his major sponsors, Black Diamond and Sportiva, are my major sponsors. So yeah, the connection helped there. So I got in touch with Pavel, his manager, and then Adam. And and I know it's a big ask when I insist that the person is in front of me because, you know, people are used to doing this on the phone at their leisure. We can set up some time that works for them. And it's much harder to to do the face-to-face, but they made it happen, the whole crew, including Adam, and I totally appreciate it. Plus, and I know I sound like a little schoolboy here because I'm so excited, but it happened in Indian Creek in the mobile studio. Who would have thought? Who would have taken that bet that I would talk to Adam Andra in Indian Creek at the Super Bowl campground in the mobile studio? Unreal. Adam sat down after dinner, after a day of hard climbing. By his own admission, he'd been trying about as hard as he ever has in Indian Creek. And he still came in, super stoked, gave me more than an hour. And we just had a really good time laughing and and talking about climbing. I think you're going to be a big fan of Adam Andra after this one if you aren't already. And one production note is that I attempted to use my bigger setup with the proper mics and my laptop in the mobile studio, but we ran out of juice. It was cold, dark. And so about the last 20 minutes, switched to an area mic on uh, handheld. And the uh, the sound is a little bit different, but still works. Um, it's only more noticeable because you can tell the difference between what I get with my good stuff and what I get with that set up uh, as an area mic. Anyway, just just to note, that's why the, why the sound changes. So cliche, the podcast guy with the with the bad sound notes. Anyway, let's get to it. Late night, Super Bowl, Indian Creek, Adamandra. Yeah, she's a big fan. Ava Kahua. Yeah, she's she's a big fan of the show, or was. I don't know if she's still listening. Are you listening out there? But um, years ago, she said, I have this friend, uh, Adam Andra. Have you heard of Adam Andra? And I was like, yeah, of course I've heard of Adam Andra. She's like, he should be on the Normacast. And I said, yes, of course he should be on the Normacast. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to email him and tell him he should do the Normacast. So that was five or six years ago, so... Um, I wanted to give her a shout out on the show because if she's still listening, she'll be stoked that you're finally on the show. And thanks for coming and thanks for sitting down, man. Thanks. You have a great van. <laughs> oh, right on. Yeah, we're in the mobile studio. Um, and actually, this is this is all coming together in this way that I wouldn't have imagined when I was like, okay, I'd of course love to have Adam Andra on the show. But here we are in Indian Creek in the mobile studio, which... You know, this has a storied past with the podcast. 
I imagined us sitting in a hotel room at like the trade show or something like that. So it's really awesome that it's like coming together in such a, you know, kind of classic and normal cast away that we've we've made it together here in this place in this van so i totally appreciate making the time to sit down thanks it's definitely much better to sit here than at the trade show <laughs> yeah totally so um but yeah we're at the super bowl campground so you're on this amazing american whirlwind climbing trip so let's start there uh talk a little bit about your trip that you're on kind of short hitting a few different climbing areas really quickly and, and trying to get some cool stuff done before you head into comp season? Well, the original idea is to just get to the valley again and just to try to climb a few routes on, the, on El Cap. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tried to get the filming permission since like April and all we in the end, also thanks to our friend Bendito, we acquired one day of filming permission okay. up on El Cap. And that kind of made the decision that, hmm, maybe three weeks on in Yosemite is fun, but maybe even more fun will be just making a tour across the western part of U.S. And there were three areas that I always were dreaming about uh, of going to U.S. for climbing, which was Yosemite, Smith Rock, and Indian Creek. So <laughs> doing all three in one trip was, was a dream to come true. Yosemite I had already visited, but Smith and Indian Creek were completely new. Awesome. And they definitely matched my expectations. Cool. So let's start in Yosemite then, um, your your attempt on on-siting the South Day. The idea of the one-day on-site attempt, was that something you had thought of before? Or was it, Did that have to do with this idea of, of your filming permit? No. Uh, idea of one-day on-site attempt on the south uh, I've had in my mind for 10 years, maybe. Oh, awesome. And you just kind of <laughs> just decided that a wall-style ascent wasn't going to be what you wanted to do. You just wanted to get up there and blitz it. I knew that it's possible to do it one day. Mm-hmm. People did it. And, I mean, the idea of, just, like, hauling more gear, mm-hmm. staying overnight, is just not nice. I like climbing and... You get to climb a lot during one day to climb on uh, the El Cap. Yeah, 30 And that's pitches. why it was just so inviting. Right. Uh, I actually wanted to try it already two years ago when I was there for the Dawn Wall, but I never really was given a chance because after we went down from the Dawn Wall, the weather just turned really bad. It snowed, and I think that some of the pitches were pretty wet. Right. And then after a week, we already left, and so I returned now. And so, is a, you know, the South A is, in the U.S. anyways, as a rock climber, it's one of the, the great iconic routes of all time. And that is that worldwide? I think so. I, I mean, it's still Yosemite. Are com- Yosemite Valley is connected for me uh, with the book called Rockstars from Heinzuck. Okay. Uh, all right. And there was like this huge picture of Alex Huber in the head wall sure super famous photo i think i first saw it when i was seven years old back then (laughs) like i would i think it was the first book that i learned uh, that i could read (laughs) right and i just learned it by my heart and there was this picture that always kind of stood out and you know it took me a long time until i finally made it to the yosemite valley right but it was definitely very hard two years ago to be in the valley and not trying to sell it there. Uh-huh. Because wh- even sell it there was always somehow more inviting than the nose. Yeah, well, I mean, 
you know, in terms of a line and in terms of crack climbing and, 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 uh, you know, bottom to top kind of line, it's pretty awesome. It's a pretty yeah. awesome route. And I think the crack pitches are not as sketchy as, as, as the nose. Yeah. Maybe not like at low percentage and, and, and changing yeah. corners. Yeah. So maybe something a little bit more accessible for what you had in mind in terms of. And already yeah. some years ago, I talked to Yuji Hirayama, who is probably the only one who like seriously attempted the route to onside. Mm-hmm. Man, he definitely got me psyched. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went and and tried. Yeah, yeah, and didn't you know? Cut, you came up a little bit short on the head wall pitches. Um, I mean, for sure, like my preparation wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been definitely much better, maybe, to go to the creek first. First, yeah. get much more used to like kind of this crack climbing, and then with better adaptation go and try to storm Salate. Definitely like in the lower pitches I would have maybe got a little less hard. Right. I mean I there is not one pitch like below the head wall where I would be like totally like on the limit. The bowler problem was actually really hard. Yeah. Uh we were climbing like the whole night, starting at midnight, climbing through the dark, through all of like the sketchy slabby pitches. The monster off with all in the dark. We made it to the El Cap Spire, two more pitches, and we were up on the ball problem with sunrise. And all of a sudden, the conditions were went like really, really humid. Mm-hmm. I don't know what. I kind of felt it, but yeah, I just went into the ball problem. It was really, really, really on the limit. Uh, and then I made it to the ledge, and actually, I wanted to like try to attempt the head wall like. Still in the morning, that was the original plan before the sun hits the wall. But it was pretty obvious that in those humid conditions, mm-hmm. that's not the good idea. And many people told me that later in the afternoon, the wall is in the sun, but there's always this breeze that makes the climbing quite enjoyable. So we just sat down on the ledge, take, took a nap, and waited. Mm-hmm. And did you get the breeze? It was a little bit of breeze, right. but it still felt... Relatively humid. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I don't want to complain. I, I still the place where I fell on my own side in the head wall. I think I could have climbed harder, but honestly, the very, very last moves of right. the head wall pitch number one, I'm not really sure if I could do them. Like, it's a really, really tiny finger locks. It's mm-hmm. really hard for me to like squeeze the fingers in, and unless you don't. Unless you know where exactly to like put your fingers in, it's really hard. Right. And you really have to have just so much margin. You just basically have to cruise the whole pitch to be there super fresh in order to like just power through the last bullet problem. And I think to find the easiest way on your own side is almost impossible. Right. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to get lucky. I mean, on siding is always yeah. about getting yeah. lucky, yeah. but you have to have the mindset in order to like. Get closer to the luck. Yeah, totally. Which for me means like, you know, you just keep climbing, you you make conscious decisions, but you don't really hesitate too much. Because usually there is not really that much time for the hesitation if you're like really onsiding on your limit. Right. And that's kind of the pattern that I'm going for. Right. But in tread climbing and quick climbing, I don't really have that much experience yet. And sometimes my decisions might not be always Correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you also, I mean, you, you you know, it's like you had this short trip, you had that day picked out, and, you know, you guys went for it. 
which I, I think there's a lot to be admired by mm-hmm. that. You know, that's that's like a climber's decision, a climber, you know, who just is stoked to to yeah. to do what he wants to do versus, you know, maybe like, okay, we got to wait for another day that's going to forecast it better and mm. things like that. I so. mean, in terms of the whole trip, I knew I had a free week, so right. we could have gone first maybe to, to the Indian Creek, right. then went to Yosemite. It would be probably not too cold yet, mm-hmm. but then it would be probably too cold for the Smith. Right. So that's that's why we decided just storm into the valley maybe do one or two climbing mm-hmm. days to get accustomed, try the Salate, and then go to Smith and Indian Creek. For the Salate itself, maybe that wasn't the greatest plan, but yeah, oh, I well. tried it. I yeah. had fun. It was yeah. a great day out. Yeah, uh, Nico Favres was an amazing partner. And yeah, the main goal was to get to climb a lot, which yeah. <laughs> was definitely true. I was totally <laughs> exhausted. Um, like... Based on what I expected, I—I I mean, I didn't really expect anything. Right. I was kind of expecting get, making it to the headwall without not so many problems, which, except for the ball problem, turned to be true. Uh, but I had no idea how much that makes me tired, and I had no idea how easy or super hard mm-hmm. headwall pitch is is to onside. So I just went and and tried. At the same time, yes, uh, I wanted to give my best, and sure. I felt quite a lot of pressure. I felt quite a lot of pressure, you know, you know, on like the pitch four. I think it's like the slab eleven D, something like that. It's not hard, and it's not hard if you just climb freely. But if you are there at one o'clock in the morning, and you know you don't want to fall off the eleven D <laughs> to spoil your like well. salate on site, you. You climb with a little more pressure and it doesn't feel as easy as it should be. Well, those holes are impossible to see when it's light out. So I imagine it was like tricky. <laughs> like in general, I've had some experience from the dawn wall and I already mm. knew that you the holes actually... there too, yeah. I, I did most of the hard yeah. pitches on the dawn wall at right. night. And actually, I think the footholds like stick out more when it's dark. Because you get a shadow. From the headlamp yeah. or something like and that. And, like, the, the rest of the wall is just completely smooth. Right. Like, climbing with a headlamp by dark on, like, limestone sport climbing is just a no, no, nightmare. It's so much harder than during the light. Whereas, like, on the uh, on El Cap, it's the same and sometimes even better. Did you do what I did last time I climbed the free blast and imagine not having a rope on? For sure. We were <laughs> thinking about it. <laughs> I freaked myself out so bad that I cu- I could barely climb it. I was. Just like, uh, yeah. I think imagining <laughs> being on a ball problem yeah, without yeah. rope is. I more didn't freaking. get that high. No, that that <laughs> that's much more freaking. Since for sure. since Honold is free solid and I haven't been on the ball problem, I I'm sure I would lose my mind. So. <laughs> and then for sure, like endurance corner. Yeah, it's has cool to be freaking out too. Yeah. For sure, I, I want to circle back real quick. Um, I it, it'd be fun. I want to talk about Smith. I want to talk about the creek, but I want to go back to the Donwall ascent a little bit. At least here in the states, maybe again worldwide, but here in the states, it, it got to be this huge deal. Um, outside of climbing as well, until this free solo movie came out, it was the biggest thing anybody had ever noticed in climbing outside of climbing, right? The New York Times and all these news channels and things while they were doing it. You showed up two years later with this idea to do that wall or was that also something that you you, you would show up and, and think about? I knew I had one month and a half okay. in the valley and I wanted to try it. Mm-hmm. 
It was hard for me to expect like how hard it's gonna be. I tried. I mean, during the four days, we made it like using free climbing aid, climbing to the top. Sure. At that moment, I thought like, mm, yeah, it's gonna go. You know, most of the hard climbing, I just just pulled on bolts or mm-hmm. some fixed gear. Later on, we went back into the wall and I started working on the crux pitches and. I think like everybody, everything that I was most scared about, like exposure, gear, big wall logistics, were fine. Okay. the The real problem was was the climbing itself, like <laughs> doing those moves. Yeah. Uh it was just so much different than anything I have I have ever climbed. Like in terms of like big walling, I was totally beginner. Mm-hmm. But I thought I've almost climbed everywhere in the world. Right. Uh and what I could see from like a video, I thought like, wow, the the crux two pitches is just like face climbing and razor blades, like sure. the same like yeah. face climbing in the Alps. But it was hard, and it was very different in terms of like how different footwork I was using. The footholds are just so shitty; they're nothing. Yeah, it's like a and you grain. still really have to have to use them, right? I had to slow down, for example. Like, my climbing style is just climbing fast. Mm -hmm. Efficient and relaxed, but keep going climbing fast. It didn't work on Donwall. Right. Not at all. My feet would just keep slipping. So when the Donwall happened, like I was saying, it was like this huge thing here. Was it, again, was it worldwide in terms of, like, what those guys were up to? Um, Um, Or was it something... I didn't get any call from the president. (laughs) No, I'm talking about when it, US first, ha- or when it first happened. <laughs> I, I mean, when Kevin and Tommy yeah. uh, made it to the summit, mm-hmm. yeah, it was in the Czech media as yeah. well or okay. European. That's right. for sure. And you, you, I mean, I'm sure, he, I'm sure the president tried to call you. Uh, he probably <laughs> no. just didn't get through. Well, <laughs> and I'm actually happy that our Czech president didn't try to call me. I don't know what we, what I would yeah. tell him. I wouldn't. <laughs> Maybe I wouldn't pick the phone. Yeah. Well. <laughs> That goes for our current situation as well, but this isn't a political podcast. So, um, <laughs> the, the question is, is, um, you know, there, there was a little bit of rumble of the crusty climber that, you know, oh, Adam Andre's here to do the Don Wall. He needs to like, he needs to put his time in. And, and I just personally, because I hate that shit, I thought it was like the greatest thing ever that, you know, you, you came in, you were strategic about it, obviously, but, you went up there, and the and what you just said is interesting because I think in the experience I've seen in the valley, when you said you don't know how to wall climb that well, but the climbing seemed feasible, a lot of times, you know, specifically Europeans that come over, that part of it shuts them down. Like the wall climbing part of it is why they don't succeed. Um, how did you catch up with that stuff? in time to allow yourself to, to have the energy I don't up there. know. After a while, I just got comfortable being on the wall. The uh-huh. exposure wasn't a problem. The gear was not really a problem. In the end, like, all the hard pitches is, like, clipping the fixed gear. It's not, like, placing your own cast. Right. If you don't look too closely at the fixed gear. <laughs> I ripped some of the <laughs> yeah. fixed gear, for sure. But right. at least, like, at, at least the crux pitches are on bolts. So right. That's all right. Right. So. But the climbing itself was was the biggest problem, mm-hmm. uh, and I needed quite a lot of time to like figure it out how to climb on these shitty holds and footholds, and that was the most shocking part, mm-hmm. that's for sure. And the fact that you have to climb it in the dark, you have to get used to it. Mm-hmm. Maybe at the beginning feels intimidating, but once you are 
okay with that. You just start climbing and during the work on the downhill, it was like lots of up, ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Like at certain point, I was like, ooh, this is probably just way too much. Right. But then maybe the next day it was like better conditions and I could make some good links on the crux pitches and work on the lower pitches. And I mean, it was coming together. Mm-hmm. Still, it was really hard for me to anticipate how the whole thing will feel when I will go for the lo- for the push. But mm-hmm. I was also hoping that the good conditions will arrive. And I I am very aware that I was incredibly lucky with the conditions. Mm-hmm. Because like the weather in the valley just turns from summer to winter. Right. And I got this one week of fall. Yeah. Of when when I was there up on the wall. Well, the, fir- the first ascent was even luckier. I mean, those guys... I mean, I think it's quite... 17, 18 un- days in a row of like pretty much... Well, they yeah, had a little and in storm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I mean that... So then it was November. Yeah. First two days, it was warm in, this, in the wall. But then it was just four days of incredible conditions. Mm-hmm. Cold, windy, and one day of even overcast which is i think the best conditions on el cap you can imagine overcast yeah that you don't have to wait for the shade or have to climb in the sun because climbing on the sun on the dot wall is like the most ridiculous thing you can ever imagine it is never cold enough to climb in the sun. yeah that's actually was <laughs> another thing that came out of that original ascent this idea of climbing in the dark always existed in terms of what you did like on the south day like oh yeah you got to climb in the dark because you got to put yourself in the right position to be but then that was like the new version of like oh they're climbing in the dark because this shit's impossible in the sun and and i um, mean in now we're kind of used to it but it was uh, pretty wild yeah i mean i I don't think it's ever like super good conditions in the dark on dawn wall it's like always humid Mm -hmm. but it's colder so it's better than the full sun right but right. then when it's overcast, you're that's, just that's freaking it. out how the conditions are good. Good, Right. Yeah, awesome. So where, where, I mean, in terms of climbing that thing, the climbing community watched you. You were joking how the president didn't call you. and yeah. But for sure, like, this thing that, that I knew it in the back of my mind that, like, there are those climbers, yeah, like, they never trust me that I will ever climb it. And for sure, it was a little bit of pressure. And when I was, like, starting for the crux pitch, I... It was hard to relax. <laughs> you didn't turn around and give the valley a big finger and be like, watch this, motherfuckers. I'm going to climb this thing. Watch. Watch me do it. That's not my way, you know? Okay, okay, good. It, that's not my way that <laughs> I'm going to show you that I, I, right. I want to do it. Right. My way is like, all right, I will try and I'll uh-huh. do my best. Yeah. But I never like say 100%, well, I will do it. Yeah. That's, that's kind of like the difference between climbing a route or conquering. Right, right. Well, I awesome. climb the routes. Yeah, and, and in terms of your style on that thing, you know, you you seem to have a very good grasp, maybe of each area and where you go, and maybe coming from your sort of your your roots as a climber, you know, what fits in your idea of these the type of ascent that you you want to have done. You know, you guys wanted to do it as a push um, and climb it from the ground up, oh, and so yeah. you were kind of aware of like this valley idea of what constitutes a an ascent <laughs> or not. I definitely want to learn about the ethics. Uh, I think the ethics are important in any kind of climbing, even in sport climbing. Mm -hmm. There are definitely some ethical issues, even in sport climbing, that I don't agree with. In big walling, I'm new, and I'm definitely happy to learn more about it. Right. Even, like, many years ago, when, when I started 
when I climbed my first multi pitch, I think I was 13. It was maybe 14. I was 14. It was in Reticon in Switzerland, like six pitches, Silbergeier, 8B+. Plus. Wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. Back it up. Back up the train here. How old were you when you climbed Silbergeier? 14. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Please, uh, you know, they're, they're, we've talked about that route a few times on this show with various different people, but uh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, 14 <laughs> years old on a, on a pretty serious route. And, like, the first partner, it was Ondra Benes. He's really, really good multi-pitch climber. He he just free-climbed El Nino one month ago. Uh, told me, like, you know, you can't just walk around, rep down, and break out on the bouldering sequence, sequences. You just have to do it ground up first. Then maybe you can use the fixed ropes and work it out and then maybe go for the red point. Right. But it's no go to, like... Because... All these routes, for example, Silbergeier, were bolted ground up mm-hmm. in a pretty bold style. Um, so I was kind of that's kind of in in my in my mind in my roots, and that was the ethic that I wanted to use in the Donwall as well. Right. And so you just said that you know you think ethics are super important in all types of climbing. Um, why do you think that is? What what's so important about like how we play this game? I think the most mind? important is just. When you say you do some that you climb something to to really say I did it in this way, mm-hmm. because in terms of like I did it, <laughs> there are just so many different ways. Sport climbing, it can be how many quick draws you preclip, how many quick quick draws you extend. Uh, if you go somewhere like off far the route to take a rest, in uh, big wall, it's just so many more things. If you preclip, if you preplace the gear or not. So much, yeah. So as far as you know, your accomplishments to date, um, and I don't know if you think about them in terms of what you're most proud of or not. But where does the the Donwall fit in all that? I think it was a great adventure, you know. And it 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 is definitely one of the most memorable climbs I've ever done, and one of the most proudest ascents that I've ever done. The 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 proudest is silence. Okay. So Dawnwall is just a step lower. Awesome. Yeah, so let's let's move to that then. Um, silence. To, to silence, yeah. Let's, well, let's be silent. Now. Yeah, okay. No, <laughs> it's not good podcasting. <laughs> yeah, why is it called silence? And we're talking about the root in, in um, Flattinger. That's how you pronounce Flattinger. it. Flattinger. Yeah, Flattinger. Um, maybe, you know, I don't know what you ended up rating it. I can't pull those sorts of facts out of my head. It has a nine this on it, but... 9C. Yeah, your hardest climb to date in terms of what you've done. Um, yeah, why is it called silence? Because when I reach the anchor, uh, normally I celebrate by just screaming. It's mm-hmm. just too much emotions and I want to scream. In that case, the emotions were so strong that I couldn't scream you at could. all. I was just silent. Mm-hmm. And it was a reaction that I never experienced before. Plus... I felt like a weird kind of silence when I was executing the crux. Like normally, there's a no hand rest right below, like a really bad knee bar. You can maybe release your hands for 10 or 15 seconds and then you go for it. And it's like one of the hardest parts of the wall of the route is like switching from this super relaxed mode into like fighting mode. Mm-hmm. And the weirdest, weirdest thing during the ascent was that I somehow forgot to switch on this fighting mode. And all of a sudden I was like through the crux and doing this 
super hard move, like this weird kind of dead point into very like uh, narrow slot. Mm-hmm. And I always thought this po- move is only possible to do when you're like screaming. Right. But all of a sudden, like I do it completely silent and completely relaxed. It was a weird experience. And that was on the go. I mean, that was on the. That send. was the sending. Nice. Uh, because the whole route is like it's so much about precision. Mm-hmm. Like I tried those bowl, that bowl problem, the crux in the middle, maybe three hundred times. But every time you try, it felt a little bit different. Because sometimes your fingers jam in different ways. Sometimes you grab it like one millimeter off, and the crystal is not perfectly on your pinky but somewhere else and all of that like decides that every single try is different i think that i had never grabbed the holes as perfectly before like on the scent like everything was just 100% precise and that allowed me to climb through the crux like not with ease but not at the absolute limit, as I was always imagining, that would be necessary to right. climb the crux going from the ground. Right. So you like passed this level of like try hard into something mm-hmm. else. Yeah. And like the first intro moves, I was like not really conscious there. It was just like it was flowing. I never thought that doing that crux being that hard, you could even do it that way. Because normally on a hard sport climb, there's always like an introsection, which could be already pretty hard, mm-hmm. but where I'm just flowing and really feeling pretty similar mm-hmm. in what I was feeling in the crux. But when I know that there are like those few moves, which are the crux, and that's like, it's going to be the sizes whether I will do it or not. I usually just turn on like the more conscious mode mm-hmm. and just try hard. Mm-hmm. And you didn't, you just switched it off. Which would normally tried. be... Yeah. A mistake. Right. When I For a very strange reason, it wasn't. <laughs> Say that again. Sorry. But this is just very particular route. Yeah. yeah. It was really fun to, to work on it. Yeah. So, I mean, you, it sounds like you kind of like, you took your climbing into a place that you'd never been before. I think so. Yeah. What, what I think? like about climbing, the harder you climb, the, the more interesting climbing gets. I mean, on a 5'10", you just, grab whatever it's still okay right on the 9c and 15d you really have to do everything perfectly <laughs> <laughs> and the cli- the the movements are usually just getting more and more interesting and crazy right. and like the crack sequence on the silence is the most crazy sequence i have ever done in climbing no doubt yeah right it's it's a it's like an upside down toe hook kind of jam like for sure belly belly full of bad berries is like just normal climb compared right, to that right it's super exhausting and heinous but like the sequence is pretty obvious right not there well i have a question about the path from deciding to do that climb to actually accomplishing it um there's this great video out this silence it's called and you know the steps and the processes that you went through at least shown in this video are are unlike anything i've seen in mm. terms of, of climbing as you were as you were going through that, my question is is, and I was wondering this during the film. You know, did you ever feel like, wow, I've, I've, I've this is already too much? I'm have I have I gone beyond like what 
I think climbing should be. I was like trying it the first season, like using all the tricks that I was using before, and I failed. So I was just searching for new ways, mm-hmm. and I was just too obsessed with the route. Right. I just want to get it done. Maybe at times it was hard to motivate myself, but at the same time I knew, you know, I invested already too much to give up. Giving up was not an option. I knew at the back of my mind that one day I'll do it. Mm-hmm. It maybe this that season, maybe in two years, maybe in ten years, but one day I was pretty sure I will do it. In the end, it happened like already the second season, which which was great. Mm-hmm. But even if it didn't happen, I I wouldn't give up. I would just keep trying, keep going back. I think what this the route like taught me the most was having fun on the process. Like if I compare it to like my previous hard descents, like my first nine B plus change or La Dura Dura, the other nine B plus, even though I spent much less time working on these climbs, I would get incomparably much more frustrated. Mm-hmm. And it was so much harder mentally. Like both change and La Dura Dura at certain time like turned into complete nightmare. When it turned into complete nightmare, on that trip I would not send. I would right. maybe have to just come back with a different mental approach and then maybe it would work out better. On silence, I never really had that, which maybe means it was not on my limit. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. <laughs> no, I like at at the moment it was absolutely. It could on be my that limit. you matured a little bit too. Uh, maybe, yeah. <laughs> because I think that's it is incredibly important for this like mental approach if you really want to send something at your actual limit. Mm-hmm. I think like Alex Megos is capable of sending 9C. If he has like the mindset for doing that, that's the question. Yeah, but he's a young man too. I mean, he's he's yeah. as old as me. Oh, he is. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay, well then he's yeah. He doesn't yeah. appear that. <laughs> At least in... he's the same birth okay. year. Okay. Okay. Or maybe sorry, Alex. Maybe one year less. But okay. Interesting. So, what do you think about um, you know? the potential for a repeat of that route. I don't know. Is anybody interested that you know of? I haven't heard anybody like that would like to try it right now. Yeah. I think it's the style that kind of uh makes the people stay away. Right. Um because it's specific. Yeah. Um and I have to admit that I chose this climb because I thought it it will be my style because it's just so weird. Mm-hmm. And I think I've already always been the best in like the most obscure kind of weird drop knee moves hanging upside down. Um, I like that, right? Uh, and for sure, when you're giving a grade, you have to consider if it's your style or not, right? Uh, so only based on like how much time I invested, how much of like specific training had to go into it. And considering that it is my style, and still that it felt just so much harder than all the other 9B pluses I tried, that's why I decided to give it 9C. Mm-hmm. Because if I propose a 9C, which I'm not sure about, and then somebody comes, repeats it, and downgrades it for a 9B plus, that would be like the most embarrassing thing 
ever. <laughs> like I did not, absolutely did not want to let it happen. Right. So you so, had to be pretty, pretty convinced that this thing had gone that far beyond those other. Routes. I mean, like the the fact if you climb a a route which feels harder than a route of a different grade, it does not necessarily mean that it's a next grade. Because mm-hmm. it might be so. A different, it might I be the really wrong had style. to be sure that yeah. silence is significantly harder than dura dura or change. Right. And I felt pretty confident about it, so I proposed it nine C. So you just mentioned how that's like the top, your top sort of experience in your mind in terms of climbing. Um, and but you also said just a minute ago that well maybe the reason that I switched into this mode. <laughs> was that I could find something that's even harder. But, you know, logistically, I just, I joke a lot of times that I, I'm like, oh, I feel sorry for Chris Sharma and Adam Andra because they can't just go climb whatever and, like, have a good time. So how do you find, I mean, how do you find the next thing? These these hard roots at this level seem like these incredibly rare gems no. that are unearthed, but you don't think so. The people ask me, like, well, soon you will run out of the roots to climb. The more I climb, the more I realize that I will never, ever climb everything I want to. Uh-huh. Already now, I have a route, maybe six projects that I'm pretty sure will be around 9C. Really? We're just waiting, all cleaned. Ready to go. Ready to All go. around the world? Well, I mean, you don't have like to give at, away. At least you don't have to give any, any sort of, you don't have to give me, like, you know, Google coordinates. They're anything, kind of but. all around the world. Okay, cool. And actually, to find something that is hard... It's really easy. To find something that is hard and super nice and super inspiring, that might be a little harder. But I think you can climb 9C in climbing areas that many people would be super surprised about. Okay. Uh, For sure it doesn't... You know, for me, it's motivating to do it maybe in my home crack where I know that the route is not going to be super... the most amazing route in the world, but it's my home crack and that's why I'm motivated Maybe like in the other side of the world, I'm not able, I'm not willing to do a route of such a character mm-hmm. because like, what's the point? Yeah, travel. When I'm travel around, <laughs> I try to like just climb the the most aesthetic, the baddest lines. Right, right. Um, so let's, I want to switch questions a little bit um, and ask you a little bit about the Olympics, the, uh, the run up to the Olympics, which is what you're going to get into here after this trip is done mm-hmm. in terms of starting to train, starting to do competitions. Uh, why is it? Why is this idea of of Olympic climbing uh, something that's so intriguing or, or interesting to you? Already when I was a little kid, I was dreaming of climbing at the Olympics. Now it's the first time ever that it could that it could be reality. So I'm going for it. Um, I'm not very happy about the format, especially as there is this combined format that includes speed, mm-hmm. which is like let's say. For the first time ever, I'll be training something which I don't enjoy or maybe even hate. (laughs) And that is going to be a big mental challenge. Uh Like, I mean, I absolutely love climbing. Absolutely. And I even love training for that. And I think that is what made me go as far as I did. But there was always like this motivation. I didn't have to find the motivation. It was always there. Right. climbing is the most fucking amazing thing in the world but it's lead climbing it's thread climbing it's bouldering it's climbing in the gym I love it all but speed climbing hmm, 
<laughs> Not really. <laughs> <laughs> Speed climbing on those very, very same routes, which only contains one single foothold and one single f- hold, handhold, just turned in a different ways. <laughs> And that's not like the most appealing thing in the world. But still, yes, they're they're the Olympics that kind of Yes, that I wanna go for it. Right. At the same time, I, I am a rock climber. I'm not a gym climber, I'm not a competition climber. I'm a rock climber. That only occasionally gets kind of like hungry to go for the competitions. Mm-hmm. And for me it's really important to like make breaks in between the competition seasons. And seasons when I only rock climb. So now I have the last three seasons I was mostly rock climbing. And this hunger kind of for the competitions came back. And I'm gunning for it. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, and you have to focus now for, you know, you mentioned uh, another time that this is, you know, your last kind of like, I'm going to do this cool road trip and and do all this rock climbing. And then it's time to run up to the Olympics, which is still a couple years away. So... You you you're just gonna switch modes and get into this. Yes, I I think all this training in the gym will eventually even make me better rock sure. climber. I mean, I don't think I will ever forget how to rock climb. Right, it's like within me. If I don't climb in the gym, I forget how to gym climb. Right. Okay. <laughs> so it's the other way around. Or, or, or we'll take I think down. my natural talent is more for the rock. Sure. For gym, I have to train harder. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think? You 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 know you went to Innsbruck this last uh, a couple months ago, which was supposed to be this premiere kind of of the format for a lot of people um, who aren't used to speed climbing. Um, speed climbing is this big sort of elephant in the room in terms of of this competition. What do you think? And is your are you strategizing in terms of like well, how good do I have to get at this speed climbing thing to make it? Um, um, I mean, we are all kind of gambling because we have no idea how much time we should invest into speed climbing training. Uh, I'm still relying on a good performance on on lead and boulder. Mm -hmm. But for sure, I need to get a little better in speed. Maybe I will not even need it in the end for the Tokyo, but I want to get just exactly the right amount of speed climbing training that doesn't make me any worse bowler or any worse lead climber or make you dislike climbing for some reason <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe in a way the speed climbing can make you feel like a little more like dynamic right which could maybe help help for the bouldering because even the bouldering especially is like just getting more and more and more different from from what climbing outside is sure um some people agree with this some people don't well <laughs> I could I could complain, but I had no other choice than just accept it. Accept and, what it is, um, and get better in the coordination triple dinos, right? <laughs> <laughs> and standing on a smears. <laughs> Did you do any of that today? Uh, <laughs> uh, of course not. <laughs> well, but actually, in terms of double dinos, I'm just dreaming of finding a route where which would include a double dino into a hand gym. Oh, right on. <laughs> I think it's pretty easy to set in the gym, but yeah. like to find to it on find the it rock in the wild. Yeah, you might have to search for a while. That'd be awesome, actually. Just you, whatever happened to Adam Andra? So, I don't know. He like stopped climbing. He just like 
walks through the jungle now looking for this boulder that he's like dreamt of in a, in a fever dream somewhere. No, no, no. It would be much better to do it with rope. Yeah, right. Yeah. So a lead climb. Yeah. So that's the way how hopefully Last after time the I... Olympics I could, uh, I could like use all the skills. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Last time I saw Adam, he was just mumbling about fucking hand jam and dinos. I don't know, man. I think he's lost it. Um, well, cool. I, I mean, that's that's going to sh- show a lot of so dedication. So, all listeners, if you have any idea, let yeah. me know. Yeah, send, send the Google Earth coordinates to this this uh, route that he's been looking for his whole life. It's probably on some, like, road cut in Alaska somewhere, but... Um. <laughs> Coming back around to this, uh, to who you are before we found you on the international scene. And I think really in the U.S., most people probably found out about Adam Andra from from uh, Real Rock Tours and the La Dura Dura movie. Um, mm-hmm. So, and you had mentioned to me about climbing with your parents as a family thing. So how far back does the climbing go for you? I mean, climbing for me who I am. <laughs> uh my, cl- my parents are climbers. They've been climbing for so many years. They met during climbing. Uh, and it was natural that they brought me to the cracks. Mm-hmm. So I was a little kid. I was looking at my parents climbing. And they never really forced me to climb, for sure. But I think as everybody around me was sort of a climber, I would just feel weird if I wasn't climbing as well. So you were like, uh, your parents were, I mean, basically like all of us. Their friends were climbers. It was kind of their lifestyle. So I I, I remember, I think the first memory that I have of like being at the crack was, I think I was like three years old. I was at the crack. There was like this little hole, maybe two meters and maybe a little less. I have no idea. My parents said that it was quite deep and I was like jumping down into this hole Uh, (laughs) on my third try I broke a leg (laughs) when you were three yeah but definitely didn't like make me any more pessimistic about like the Craig life (laughs) and what kind of climbers were your folks I mean this would have been before sport climbing probably Mm, or at least so they started climbing in 1980 okay so Maybe somewhere sport climbing was like just about to be born, not really in Czechoslovakia, yeah. which not there really wasn't any, any gear. So right. imagine, imagine Czechoslovakia was on the Eastern Bloc, total embargo, nothing could be imported. Like if, if you wanted to go climbing in France, it was almost impossible. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, they, they started climbing, mostly like eight climbing around my, uh, around our town. Uh, the thing to do was to climb in high Tatras in the mountains, especially in the winter. If you did some interesting climbs, the colder, the better, the more snowy, the better, the more heinous, the better. <laughs> you became like part of the, the national team, let's right. say. Right. You weren't doing any competitions, but you had to be like good mountaineer. And if you were part of a team, you could travel a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think in 84, my, my dad made it to like, and to rock climb in like Bukes and, and maybe Spain even. And there they could buy some first shoes and stuff like first So this is shoes. like state run, like climbing team for the. For Pretty the much, yeah, yeah, like a kind of uh, incredible story, right? Incredible story, like how much hassle it was, like to go, to go to France first, and second to be able to find to buy a climbing shoes there, right? Because you couldn't buy enough, uh, bring enough cash 
uh, from home. And right. if you get caught, it was like a big problem. Nevertheless, in 1989, there was a revolution. The democracy opened. I was born in 93. So the times were different. Mm -hmm. It was like this early phase of capitalism. Some of the friends of my parents actually stopped climbing for pursuing their careers and stuff like this. My parents, my, my dad, like dedicated a lot, uh, to, to his career, but he, my parents kept on climbing anyway. And when I was maybe six, I went for my first competition, uh, and I got totally stoked. All right. of a sudden climbing was not like something, Ooh, that's something that everybody does. So I should somehow like do it too. <laughs> right. I, I think I can't really remember, but that's kind of like how I retrospectively, how I retrospectively feel that it had to be. Right. My parents never, ever pushed me into climbing. I just wanted, wanted to do it. But since that first competition, when I got third, um, I just wanted to climb more because in a way you, you also enjoy something that you feel good at and Right, climbing like, was the right thing. Right. And I just climbed, climbed, climbed. Um, yes, still I went to school, but I did all the necessary things for the school. And otherwise I just think about climbing all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I would like have, we would be living in like two room flat, pretty small, but in my own room, I had like a little gym or little wall. And like, if my mom didn't like, if if my mom tell me like mm, today I will not go climbing with you like you should rest so I would just climb there you climb and, and just like change the holes like every single hour <laughs> it would be obsession that's that incredible be, this I would is be what like learning the guidebooks yeah. I would be like learning the guidebooks by heart you know like when there was a new climbing era I would just open <laughs> the guidebook like study it every single afternoon then we would get to the climbing crack and I wouldn't need the guidebook anymore because I would just know everything right <laughs> well and i was going to ask you a question i asked a lot of people sort of like this idea of why climbing why this one thing but i don't know do you even have an answer for that it sounds like it, it was just clicked yes yeah, just... the climbing was there yeah. it was like surfed on the plate mm -hmm. by my parents like parents like showed me climbing and this is it do you want to do it i said yes and that was it uh at the same time like already when i was little kid i had some mates like from the competitions which who also had the climbing par parents but they didn't have the same stoke and you could see like there is the pressure from the parents you mm -hmm. know just try harder train harder you're gonna be good there are very rare cases that it works but most of the time it just doesn't work it has to come from inside yes like the kids maybe get eventually good right. but when the puberty comes when there is not like this inner desire most of the time it just doesn't work and and i've seen it when i was a little kid i've seen it now um i don't think it will ever change but i think the the best the best climbers in the end always come out from this circle of people that have this like inner fire mm -hmm. to really you you want to do it because you want to do it it can't be just like some people are incredibly ambitious and uh, like uh, meeting the goals is enough for them. Mm -hmm. And they didn't really care whether they have fun on the process or not. But right. those people are rare. Mm -hmm. Like most of the people want to have fun on the way. Right. Uh, and you're, you're one of those people? Oh, totally. Yeah. 
<laughs> for sure, I am ambitious, uh-huh. but the most importantly, I have so much fun on the way. So no matter I, how hard I train, no matter what I do, I'm, I think I'm good in like finding the fun, even in the the things that might not be that appealing, like training six hours a day. Right. Or speed climbing. I, find the fun. I find the fun, Adam. Find I it. haven't found, found it. No, you're going to find it. That's the biggest challenge. <laughs> I will try hard to find the fun. Get a t-shirt getting... that says find the fun on it. I'm 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 getting more optimistic because I've already heard from some of the like non-speed specialists that that they were really surprised how fun it was. Okay. All right. Well, hopefully yeah, you'll find it. So, you know, write it on the mirror in shaving cream. Find the fun. I mean, all of this was incredibly important because right. if I take a look on my path like from the general point of view, if I didn't enjoy as much as I do enjoy climbing, I would have to be just totally idiot. Right. You know, sacrificing so much time into climbing, but so much. Right. Not only for the climbing itself, but for like studying everything I could, thinking about climbing, uh, I would have to be just totally idiot to do it only for the sake of like, I don't know, being the best. Right. Climbing the dawn or, or, Climbing silence or being the world champion. So let me it ask, would not make sense. Let me ask you this about about being a professional. Um, you know, it's like I I bugged you. I got you to sit down here today. You've got another interview in the morning. You're you're putting out all this media all the time. You know, do you ever find that the professional part starts to get over onto this having fun and finding the fun kind of thing? It's dangerous for sure. Yeah. Um. For sure, it's it's good to be professional climber in order to like be able to live the dream and to climb all the time. To live in a farmhouse and and flat flatten flat flatanger flatanger <laughs> and just like be there. For sure, you have to do takes. certain things that might not be that enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a lot of time just your decision how much of that you want to do it. Mm-hmm. For sure, more you do it, maybe the better you are paid, but. That's not really the point. Right. <laughs> the point of my life is just just try to climb as much as possible and to do what I really want to do. Uh-huh. And this life of professional climber is something necessary. It's something that some parts of it I even enjoy, such as, I don't know, giving slideshows. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I can give the people something that might help them in a way. At the same time... I just have to be really cautious not to like let it grow over my head. Mm-hmm. So I still am an athlete and I'm not like, uh, you know, full-time working um, person that is interviewed by the thousands of journalists right. and going for the events and stuff like this. And what about the aspect of being like, you know, I witnessed just a little bit of it today of being here at, at the cliff or here at the parking or here in the, and having people just, you know, kind of wanting just to be a little bit within your kind of realm and walking up. And, Most and of the time it's nice, but yeah. it depends. Like, let's say here in Indian Creek, it's as there's not that many people at the mm-hmm. crack. Mm-hmm. It's kind of nice. You know, you meet a few people, you get to talk to them almost like if I was just Mr. Unknown. Right. I feel like sometimes with climbing, at least I've witnessed this, that, you know, I think there are 
climbers who actually climb are like out here in Indian Creek. I think there is a little bit of a idea of respecting your space. Would you agree with that? Maybe. In terms of like, oh, he's just here to climb like we all are all here to climb. And I'm going to say, Feels great. I'll say hi to him real quick, but then yeah. I'm going to like back off and maybe let him do what he wants to do. Um, I, I mean, has that yeah, been today we were like climbing at this, this wall. It was pretty obvious that we were walking more left. Yeah. There are quite a few people, but. In the end, nobody really came to watch, which oh, was really? almost nice. Yeah. All right, cool. Maybe like four people. Yeah. But out of like the 30. Um, well, to be honest with anybody, <laughs> if they, anyone who was going to go and try that route, if the other people knew what that route is, Hot Park Sunday, it's called, <laughs> they'd go over and watch to see who, no matter who it was. Because, I mean, it's a rare thing that people get on yeah. that thing. If, if you know it's over there, you know. But it's the same time people are here to climb and yeah. they want to get to climb. <laughs> yeah, they don't have time to spend watching your ass climb up something. Exactly. So, for example, in in my hometown in Brno, I go into the gym and it's like it's normal. Like yeah. everybody keeps climbing. Mm-hmm. If I only go to the to Prague, which is two hours away, I'm not there that often, and half of the gym just stops climbing to watch. Right. It's not always easy because, I don't know, sometimes the people don't know that I had been training four hours before, I have done this, and this is my eighth fruit in a row, and all of a sudden I fall off 8A. And they're like, oh my God, that guy. Oh, Adam is falling off 8A, what's wrong with him? (laughs) On their phones, (laughs) posting it. This guy's terrible. (laughs) So those are like the stupid, like... um, Yeah, do you hear that, people? Give them a break. Give him a fucking break. The guy just climbed 12 of the hardest routes you've ever seen. <laughs> no, it, nobody has, like, the courage to, like, ask you, oh, you, right. you, you fall off 8A. But, you know, you have it in your back of my mind. Mm-hmm. But I think I, I've learned to do with that. It's fine. Yeah. It, oh. All of this, like, just the fact being famous is definitely not my goal, you know. Mm. It's, well, but it is a small price to pay to, to be yeah. able to live. The way. I Don't worry, it won't last forever anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'll just be that guy who climbed, what, what is it, 9C? 9C. You'll be that guy that climbed 9C when that was hard, like 15 years ago. Remember when <laughs> 9C was hard? Yeah. He was, I think he was the first guy to do it, but whatever. I warmed up on it. The other day, I warmed up the um, silence. Yeah, no, I don't know if it's going to get that far, but um, I don't think in my lifetime nobody will ever warm up on silence. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, cool. I'm going to finish up here just by where we started with was was with this climbing trip you're on. Um, you know, I I know it's not your your mission here to to necessarily come and like climb the hardest routes and 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 make a big deal out about about it. But it reminds me of a few years ago when. It was actually quite a long time ago, but Francois Legrand and, and, and Yuji came with this specific idea to, like, go to these crags and do the hardest climbs in the States. Um, and they actually kind of got worked. They, they didn't even come close to accomplishing their goal. Their, 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 their sort of stated mission was coming from kind of this, this place of competition. Yeah. Um, you're here, it sounds like, more doing these routes that are iconic to you, that maybe you grew up thinking about um your age difference you know makes a, a person like chris sharma someone that you would have known about as a little kid uh, makes tommy caldwell someone you mm-hmm. might have just known about as a little kid yeah totally. so let's finish up by just telling us a little bit more about your trip and we'll wrap it up so you went to smith 
um, and you got on Just Do It and ended up, ended up. Well, there were two dream routes. Okay, two, two dream routes. Too bold or not yeah. to be and Just Do It. Mm -hmm. Too bold or not to be, I couldn't on site and that's a really shame for me. Uh -huh. uh, uh, but that's, then Just Do It worked out and it felt great. Yeah, it was a little cold, but you felt great. Uh, I mean, it's just an amazing route. And I mean, I expected a lot from the Smith and the rock the climbing was even better than i expected and seeing the monkey face and just do it for the first time for sure it's not the same feeling as you see el cab but it looks intimidating like the idea of going up and like trying to do it first go it was a day it was cold uh and it looked hard and i wasn't like huh should i even try should i even try this trip Maybe should I just leave it for another trip? Because for me, the on-sites are really, really important. And it's only one try in life. Right. Maybe I should have waited with the Salate and I don't want to let it happen the same thing with the Just Do It because for me, it's just super iconic route. And on-siting some new 8C Plus in Spain is, is not the same. It's totally different. And I just value it and so much different, so much more like climbing, just do it or just some random AT plus somewhere else mm -hmm. uh, because it has the history. And I was climbing it with the pressure that, yes, it was incredibly important. And I really, really, really wanted to do it. And you have to keep that like calm down a little bit. And, and when you reach the anchor, I think the happiness is even more. Right. And wasn't Alan Watts sitting there watching you? Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that even like made it even more special. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Cause you had an idea. That I mean, history. it's really hard to meet like the real pioneers of sport climbing back in the day. Unfortunately, most of them are not even alive mm -hmm. uh, back in Europe. And meeting Alan Watts was just really great. Talking to him. We, we talked a lot. Great. And <laughs> Even like retrospectively, uh, hearing Alan or like Ber Bernie, for example, like that B Alan later told Bernie, like, oh, I really didn't believe that, that Adam could do it. Like, I mean, it's just so hard. Right. <laughs> and when I did it, he, he could see like how much it meant even to him. Right. <laughs> That's super cool. Yeah. That's a lot of respect coming yeah. from, from the elders, so to speak. That's super cool. So what did you have in mind when you got to Indian Creek? Uh, just see how much, how much I will get my ass kicked. Oh, really? <laughs> How's that going? <laughs> like there was one route that I've known for years, super crack. So that was the first route I jumped on. Well done. <laughs> that worked. It's a little wider than people think it's going to be. Yeah. It's not as perfect hand jump. As no, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's the, it's one of the great, like, uh, pieces of misinformation in the desert <laughs> that that climb is even that awesome i don't know it's it's beautiful it was one of the first of yeah. its type here but yeah everyone gets on it and they're like holy shit it's a four camel out what's going on up here yeah <laughs> so you get like three maybe two hand jams and then it's off to the fists and everything else but good uh, work mostly hand jam yeah honestly. well your bit your hands are bigger yeah <laughs> <laughs> maybe yeah and the rest was like, the plan was just to try some 513s mm -hmm. and to, to see how it worked out. I was mildly surprised that it went better than expected. 
what do you think? Uh, what made you think of doing Belly Full of Bad Berries, which is a um, <laughs> kind of more recent but famous? Let's say it was the only five thirteen yeah. that I really knew by the name, and that some people tried mm-hmm. before the arrival. So that was the obvious one on the list. Yeah. And obviously, as I have never tried anything even close to that, I just wanted to give it a try. I didn't really have that much expectation. I just like, yeah, let's try. If it works out first go, maybe. But I definitely didn't expect it to be easy. And I was definitely over the moon to do it on the second go. Yeah, and fighting hard. (laughs) So much. Nice. Uh, My shins were so pumped from like jamming my feet above my head that I don't think I've ever got that like painfully pumped in my forearms by, mm-hmm. by sport climbing. I mean, it's a, it's a muscle that you don't really use other than... Yeah, in the front, the <laughs> shin, that weird shin pain. Yeah. So... I mean, it was incredibly fun. Cool. Uh, I think like climbing-wise, I maybe just enjoyed the Indian Creek the most. Maybe because because like... On the Salate, I was like there to try the Salate and like give it everything I tried. In Smith, I really had just do it in my mind to like just give it everything I had. In Indian Creek, I had no expectation and just climbed something completely new. And like in every single route, I had just so much fun. And definitely I'm not here in the desert for the last time. I got really inspired to certain time and certain at one day get a little more into the tread climbing and feel a little more, let's say, smooth and easy on maybe the office. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. Well, <laughs> it's kind of like alpine climbing. I think I think you can like get a little older and weaker and still be a pretty good darn crack climber. Uh, so <laughs> that's what I'm relying on. <laughs> yeah. So Most what? of the time, for the next, I think, ten years, I will still dedicate like the high-end sport climbing yeah and then then you can just relax here in the desert after that it'll be a good, it'll be a good retirement <laughs> i mean it's amazing the world is an amazing place to be it's just too much climbing too much it's sad i will never ever climb everything that i want but of course it's also a motivating thing like the recent trip for example in the balkan like just totally opened my eyes in terms of like yeah we keep Sport, going sport climbing in like Spain and France, but there are like these obscure countries which might even have more rock. Right. It's, it's great. And it's just everything. It's not sport climbing. It's just Indian Creek, Yosemite, going into the mountains, which also have like amazing thousand meter rock. Like you can climb anywhere and it's still climbing and it can look very different, but it's still just so amazingly cool. All right, folks, thanks for listening. That was fun, right? If you're longtime fans of the Enormacast, you know that I can I can struggle laying my sort of reference-based dry or humor onto, onto the Europeans. But uh, I think Adam has a great sense of humor. I didn't know, I didn't know what to expect with that. He's, uh, he's a funny, just uh, pretty jovial cat for how serious he is when he's on a climb. So thanks again, Adam. You are the man. I've suspected it. Now I know it's true. Okay, everybody, remember that if you are looking for last-minute gift 
ideas for the holidays, whether you're into Christmas, Hanukkah, Festivus, whatever it is, you can, of course, support our sponsors, but also go straight to the Ormcast. The shop is open. There's shirts and hats. And if you order them before the 19th, they should get there by Christmas, I think. I don't actually know. If you, if you push it all the way to the 19th, yeah, all bets are off. But the 19th is the last shipping date before the new year because I'm going to be gone. And that's it. Shop's closed, baby. Of course, you can also get free stickers. Always there's free stickers. Send an address to chris at enormacast.com. You will not get your stickers before the 25th. Just I'm just going to say that now, even if I got your address in the next five minutes. Okay. It is cold and snowy in most of the United States anyway, Canada. So the drive to climbing is probably the most dangerous thing you're going to do, whether you're climbing outdoors or in the gym, rock, ice, doesn't matter. Careful on that drive. But that doesn't mean you do not pay attention once you're there. Paying attention. That's the thing I've realized over the last couple of years. It's paying attention every minute to every detail that's going to keep you alive. So please, clear your minds when you're climbing and pay attention. Hell, put the phone away and pay attention while you're driving. You ever look around at the other people driving? They're on their fucking phones. So put your phone away, if only so you can avoid them when they're swerving all over the lane. Probably watching cat videos or porn, depending on their disposition. Oh, yeah. Also, check your knot. Hey, man. How do you do, dude? I wonder if I see you again. I wouldn't miss the semis. How oh, things yeah. been going? Oh, you know, strikes and gutters, ups and downs. 